Good morning, everyone. Good to be with you once again, and glad to be able to spend some time in God's Word this morning. As uh, has been the case in the past, I've been given the privilege of being able to share what God has been challenging and sharing with me, and I trust, if anything, the Lord will make His Word uh, be both applicable and come alive to each and every one of us uh, as we go to the Word this morning. I'm going to read our passage for this morning, which is found in Acts chapter 9. And uh, once again, I'm reading from the New American Standard, which I trust will be close enough to whatever English translation you have before you that it will make sense and you can follow along to some degree. Um, I'm going to read from verse 3 and then we'll pray and then we're going to dive in this morning and uh, to grab a hold of what the Lord has for us. Acts chapter 9, verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell on the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up, go into the city, and you will be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground and when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias, yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him and restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. He's come here with authority from chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, Go, this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. And he got up and was baptized. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you again this morning for your word. A word that you've preserved for us that these words on the page hold the keys to life. This written word speaks of a living word that dwells within each and every one of us. And I thank you this morning that we can trust that by your spirit and your spirit alone, that you can convict, mold, shape, change, move, and make us into your very image, Lord. And I just pray again this morning that we would join you in a work that we know you are already doing, that you are taking us and that you are making us, moving us. And uh, I just pray that with hearts open wide this morning, we would receive your word and allow you to challenge us, that you would take us and uh, move us in ways in which we need to be moved. Thank you, Lord, that this morning you are here and that uh, we can give thanks for what you are doing. 
In Jesus' name, we present this time before you and this word, which is yours and yours alone. Amen. Well, this morning, as we read about Ananias, and we read about his call to come and pray for Saul, who, as we know, would become Paul the Apostle, Paul was going to have scales removed from his eyes. And what's interesting to me this morning, and again, I can only share with you what God has been challenging and sharing with me, it wasn't only Saul that needed scales to be removed to shine a light on his blindness. In many ways, Ananias himself was blind, but didn't know it. And this week, I've been challenged because I think there's places where I am blind. And while I am praying for other people to have sight, revelation, see the light, man, there's ways in which I am so blind and don't even know it. And this week, I don't know how many of you are news junkies. I tend to be one of those people who follow the current events. Everything was fixated this week on a submarine with five people in it. Did, it, did people catch the news? We were following. Did they have oxygen? It was 92 hours, then only 48. Then on it went, right? And then we discovered that it was gone. And when they started to interview um, some of the people who were in the submarine community, they said, we knew Monday that it was gone already, right? There was a narrative going and it had fixated everyone, but under it all, they knew, they knew. Interesting was this, and I discovered this after the fact, just a few days earlier. 750 people were crammed, migrants off the coast of Greece. And their boat capsized, and only 104 survived. How many of you heard that story? I see two or three, four hands, right? We all heard about five people on a sub. Meanwhile, 750 were drowning 104 survived. Isn't it amazing how we can become captive to whatever narrative is out there? Whatever is being told, the story that takes. I have a sister who's in the media industry and they run by a, a code that is, if it bleeds, it leads. That means if it's got some shock, if it's got some awe, if it's going to captivate and gain attention, that's the leading story on the headline today. If it bleeds, it leads. Well, it's easy to call ourselves prisoners or captives of the narrative today. But what I want to talk about is the fact that today, I can become a captive of my own narrative. And last week, for those who are here on Father's Day, Marcus opened by talking a little bit about kids and their cars. And I was having a good laugh because recently I got to drive my son's car, Joshua, who most of you know, and I was ashamed. Why? Because we sold him the car <laughs> and, and uh, some things weren't working so well on that car and I was shameful father. But what made me laugh was partly at him because one of the things that stopped working was his window. And if there's anything, I laugh because when we moved to the farm, 
we had an old farm truck that came with the farm. And for the first time, my children experienced crank roll down windows. Do you know what I mean? And what made me laugh so hard was this, that my kids who had never experienced roll down windows before, to me, their annoyance, to them, it was like, these are amazing. Why aren't these on every vehicle, right? They felt, they, they hate the fact that dad has the lock window button. We have control and dad can do nothing about it. Yes, why don't we all have crank down? Well, on Joshua's car, the crank down windows, his dream come true, right? They got tired and now the driver's side window would come down without warning at any point in time. You, there was a sweet spot where you could get it to close, right? And, and, and you could just get it there. But if you looked at it the wrong way, down it would fall into the door well. And, and it was like you'd roll it up just right, lock the doors, ready to go into the mall, close it, down would come the driver's window. Like, so annoying. And what made me laugh was the fact that, one, we had kind of done this to him by selling him this car. But two, as you drove this thing around, you know what was interesting? Man, normally when you'd roll up the windows because you're passing by the stinky dairy farm, <laughs> down would come the window and fill the car. When you're in front of that, you know, smoking truck in front of you in the in traffic, you roll up your, no, down it would come, in would come all the smoke, right? Someone yelling on the street, man, roll up the window, too hot, roll it, air conditioning, no, you had no choice, you were a victim of any sight, smell, and sound that was around you, but here's the thing, man, do we live in a day when it is so easy to insulate yourself from what you don't like. Does that make sense? Roll up my windows, turn on the air conditioning. It's quiet. It's comfortable. I don't hear the noises. I don't smell the smells. And I don't have to interact with what I don't want to interact with. So easy today to insulate ourselves. Climate-controlled, soundproof, and I'm finding every once in a while, and here's God, not by my choice, I need to roll down the window. <laughs> because I tell you what, more often than not, I'm often insulating myself from things I don't want to talk about, think about, smell, or deal with. And here's God. He wants to disrupt us today. It's easy to read the passage in Acts 9 this morning and see Jesus get in the face of Saul, an accuser, someone who's out there killing Christians, bringing them to court, dragging them away, and I say, yes, Jesus, get in his face. Disrupt him. This morning, if there's anything you leave here with, I want to encourage you this morning that I'm finding more and more that Jesus is someone who wants to not just disrupt the unbeliever. More often than not, He's interested in disrupting the believer and making us catch a whiff of things we don't want to smell, making us listen to things we don't want to hear, talk to people we don't want to be involved with. God is interested in disrupting our path today. But if you are not careful, like me, you may insulate yourself and become a captive of your own opinion, 
not just what is being presented before you out there, what's holding you hostage in here. I hope that makes sense. Because today, God is in the business of disrupting our day if we will let Him. And as we begin to read, not Saul's conversion here, I'm interested in Ananias, who has God come down. And if you're not listening, hey Ananias, I got something for you to do. What's that? I need you to get up and go and meet a guy named Saul of Tarsus. Did he know who he was? Absolutely. He knew exactly who he was. And immediately he says, Lord, no thanks. (laughs) I know who he is and I know what he's about. And the Lord says, Ananias, go for this man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel, I will show him how much he will suffer for my name. You see, Ananias needed to have the scales removed from his eyes because what he needed to see in that moment was who God was willing to use and whom God was going to choose to carry his name. If you've got your windows rolled up, if you don't want to hear it or don't want to believe it, you'll miss out on what God has for you. The gift of being used by the Lord. If we go on, and we won't read it for time's sake, though I wish we could, the very next chapter, what do we read about? Peter on a rooftop having a vision. What's the vision? All the unclean foods come down in a sheet. And the Lord's voice comes and says what? Peter, arise and eat. What's his response? I've never eaten anything unclean. A second time, he sees it. And a voice comes, what the Lord has made clean, arise and eat. Lord, no. And do you remember what happens next? A knock at the door. It was a messenger from Cornelius. And immediately, what does Peter realize? Man, God is about to make clean the unclean. He's about to save those I didn't think could be saved. He's about to give the Holy Spirit to people I didn't think could get it. Man, God was disrupting his life. I want you to eat something that you used to think was unclean. Is that a disruption? Here's the crazy thing though, talking about disruptions. And again, for time's sake, though I wish we could read every word. I don't think we can. In Luke 1, I want you to remember Mary. When God comes and says, Mary, by the way, don't be afraid. You found favor. You're going to be with child and you're going to give birth to a son. And you're going to give him the name Jesus. Mary says, how will this be since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. You know what's interesting? God doesn't always prepare us and give us the how and and the why in the moment. And you know where that really comes clear? Is when you read on in Matthew's account, 
in chapter 1 when it tells us that Joseph, her husband, verse 19, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. What does that tell you? Jesus didn't come to Joseph and go, hey, by the way, let me take you aside here. (laughs) Remember the one you're engaged to? Ah, she's going to be pregnant. Ed, don't worry, it's me, right? People are going to look down on you. People are going to tell you to divorce her. People are going to tell you to stone her. Hey, just did Jesus give him any of that information? No. How do we know? (laughs) It tells us he learns and immediately, while being a righteous man, not wanting to disgrace her, he's planning to send her away secretly. He's going before the Lord going, man, what do I do? Talk about a disruption. That's when the Lord comes. When he had considered this, Matthew 1 verse 20, Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife. For the child who's been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit, and she will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus for He will save His people from their sins. You see, it's so easy to allow disruptions to lead us to a place of despair. But today, God provides disruptions in our life not to lead us into despair, but to dependence. Nothing throws you to that place of faith falling on your face before the Lord like a good disruption. And today, if you're like me, and in the back, while you might not admit it outwardly, you've worshipped that idea or ideal of the white picket fence Christianity to lead that quiet life. And once I know the Lord, everything is going to go right. Money's going to go well. The house will be fine. No repairs on the car. The window will miraculously roll up in the car and not fall down. That's my envisionment of the Christian life. When everything's going well. I think sometimes God and I have two very different definitions of the word success. Why? Because God isn't interested in everything going right, physically, outwardly. What God's looking for and longing for is that He would be glorified. That's why it tells us when He he speaks through Paul in 2 Corinthians, and I've read these verses to you often because I believe they're life verses. It says this as Paul wrote about what he experienced as an apostle Verse 9 of 2 Corinthians 1, Indeed, we had the sentence of death within ourselves so that we would not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Man, we were shipwrecked. We were lost. We were abused. We were beaten. But why? God allowed us to get to the very end of ourselves so that A purpose so that we would not trust 
in ourselves, but in the God who raises the dead. See, when I insulate myself today, I begin to miss the message. When I worship comfort today, or I begin to worship the message, one philosopher said it this way, just because you think it doesn't make it right. (laughs) But I often can fall prey to that very thing. Surround myself with people who tell me what I want to hear, people who sing the same songs that I sing, sing out of the same hymnal, who who read the same translation, who've been to the same Bible school, and I can stunt my growth. Because it can become a comfortable Christianity. God's not interested in comfort. In fact, He wants to crash my circumstances. Turn the cart upside down. This is Genesis. Abram, leave your father's household to a land that I am calling you. And you think, great father of faith. He goes. Does anyone remember what's the first thing he finds when he gets there? He gets to the land, and it tells us this in the book of Genesis, and he got to the land, and there was a drought, and he had to go to Egypt to find food. (laughs) God, I made it! I went where you told me to go! And it's a desolate place. This is Exodus when he said to Moses, I'm sending you back to a land where they wanted to kill you. A place where they, you failed. You tried to save my people for me. I'm going to send you back so now I can do it through you. No God, don't send me. 40 years he was raised in Egypt. 40 years he learned to be a simple shepherd. Send someone else. Those were his words. I don't want to go. This is Jonah. Go tell the Ninevites it's time to repent. We know how that went. My favorite is at the end of that book, if you remember, Jonah's so mad that God saved the Ninevites. And then, do you remember? He raises up a plant to give him shade. And then he praises God for the plant. And then he brings a worm and eats it. And then the shade dies. And then he's so mad he wants to die. The Lord and I had a few of those conversations over some broken hay equipment this last week. And I was indignant to the Lord (laughs) that my hay equipment should work far better than it was. (laughs) This is Ananias. Go pray. But before you'll go, scales need to be removed. You need to welcome in the voices you don't want to hear. Because God's going to call you often to do things you don't want to do. Go to places you don't want to go. You've got to start driving with your windows down. Does that make sense? Because I'll tell you what, there's times when I'm driving through Nanaimo And I have to go downtown every time I get on that ferry to go to the church where I serve most Sundays. I'd rather not see the things I'm seeing. I'd rather not hear. I'd rather not be confronted with the poverty. Because you know what? At some point I feel like 
man, the Lord might ask me to do something. It's easier to take the other side of the curb than walk by. What if God asks me to give something? What if I don't feel like they deserve it? What if they talk to me and I have to say something? I don't know what to say. If I become the prisoner of my own thoughts, my own direction, I'll miss those things, the disruptions that lead us to dependence. And what God is looking for is that bold faith that will go even when we don't know why because He doesn't always tell us the why. I wish He would, but I think God knows if I did know why, I'd often run the other way. That's Joseph. Notice how in Joseph in Genesis, he had a hint of what was to come. He had visions of the sheaves of wheat bowing to him and the sun and the moon and the stars bowing to his star. He had a hint of what God was going to do. But God never told him how. Imagine if God said, hey, just wait. You're going to get beaten, thrown in a hole, sold into slavery. <laughs> Your dad's going to be told you're dead. Oh, but by the way, don't worry. When you get put in, uh, I'm going to raise you up in Egypt only to be lied about because of your integrity, thrown in prison. Oh, but guess what? I'm going to make you the lead prisoner. It's going to be amazing. And I'm going to give you the gift of telling dreams. Oh, but by the way, when you tell the baker and the cupbearer their dreams, even though one of them is going to live, he's going to forget about you. You're going to rot another seven years, even though you don't deserve it. Oh, but one day you'll be next to Pharaoh. Here's me. Thanks, but no thanks, Lord. I love the people, and I think I've shared this with you before, but it's been a reminder this week. The people in my life who've hit the stage of life, and often they're the older ones, who've managed to find the that's why stage of life. Joan Thomas, who was married to Major Ian Thomas, who started Cape and Ray. She hated it. She hated the castle, the work, the domestics, the cooking, the cleaning. A husband who was gone 300 days a year preaching. And when I sat down with her in her home over a nice English cup of tea, you know what she said to me? That's why. I can now look back and say that's why. I see 20 Bible schools around the world. And I had a husband who wasn't home. And I say, that's why, Lord. I have a son who is into everything. And now he's leading the maintenance and on to contracting. That's why. She could look back now and see. And it's always easier to look back and see that's why. But out of God's mercy and grace, He doesn't always tell us. What I need today is that bold faith that will go when God says go. Do when God says to do. But what I need is to not become a prisoner of my own idea and ideals. Let the scales be removed. Sometimes hear the voices I don't want to hear. <laughs> Speaking of that, I was reading something this week that in the Hebrew, uh, when it says that God gave Adam a wife and it's been translated in our English, helpmate, the Hebrew actually means help against. Isn't that great? <laughs> help against someone who's going to help you by what opposing you 
as iron sharpens iron. Can't say I always like that voice, <laughs> but it's good. As you go out these doors today, are you listening? Not just to what you want to hear, but the voices you don't want to hear. Are you ready for the direction that God may send you? Places that you may not want to go to mingle, rebel with, and even pray for people you don't feel like praying for. It starts with having the window down and being willing to smell, engage, rather than be disengaged. Stop insulating yourself from the circumstances that God may well be using to shape you, mold you, make you, and even more so, be blessed by using you in people's lives as a vessel of life. Today, go listening. Because like Ananias, he may be right around the corner saying, it's time to pray. And you'll say, for them? And he'll say, exactly. Let's pray. Lord, thank You. Thank You that this morning that You are a God who challenges, a God who disrupts, a God who shakes us. Forgive me, Lord, where I refuse to hear what I need to hear. Refuse to be moved. When I roll up that window and I stop interacting with the world that You've put us in to be salt and light. Lord, forgive me where I may stall and stop wanting to know why. All I need to know today, Lord, is that You are faithful and that today You desire to use us as Your body. Thank You that as we go out these doors, You've already promised that You will disrupt us, that we might not fall into that trap of keeping our faith in ourselves, but rather that we might trust the God who raises the dead. Thank You that You are always enough for whatever You call us to. You are always speaking. More often than not, I'm just not listening. May we go out these doors with hearts, ears, and hearts uh, and minds open wide You have for us. And be bold enough that when You say, it's time to go. Thank You that as You called that rich young ruler, You'll pick on those things that we need to lay down at Your feet today. And whether it's health, wealth, security, today You've called us to pick up that cross, lay it all down at Your feet, and follow You. Thank You that You are enough today, that You are faithful, and that You not only go with us, but You've gone before us. And we just give ourselves to you unreservedly, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.